Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. We are three weeks away from the end of the semester. Seniors, you're three weeks away from being released into ministries. Associate graduates, you're three weeks away from either continuing your education or moving into the workforce. Bible certificate students, you're three weeks away from returning to your congregations. As resident theologians, and Bible experts. And those of you who have not yet come to a conclusion of your time here at BBC, you still have a little bit more work to do. You still have a little bit more growth to experience. And to be honest, that sanctification never really ends, does it? You can ask any of our professors here that that process is still continuing with them. And we thank them for the fact that they have helped direct us through this time of biblical academia. So whatever lies ahead of us, let us submit to the glory of God. Last week we heard from our dear brother Josh, who told us about the high price demanded for our global transgressions committed against uh, against God in the past, today, and in the future. We heard of the horror and the sorrows bestowed upon Jesus that was the cup of God's wrath, which is poured out on our behalf. And we heard how a ministry of hope, joy, love, and wonder ended with a cold, dark tomb. Like the disciples in the days that followed Jesus' death, you might be feeling a little burnt out, emotionally and mentally strained, maybe pretty raw from what you've experienced this year within this institution. I want to tell you it's okay. It's okay because that is a part of life. It's okay because there's always still tomorrow. Because though we may be feeling just like the disciples who are hiding away in a dark room filled with defeat, uncertainty, and fear, our story is not yet done. Our message today comes from the text of John chapter 20, and we are met by darkness. As a woman isolated and weakened by her grief stumbles outside of a slumbering city because belief in Jesus is dead. And all she can bring herself to do at that moment is go and sit at the foot of Jesus' tomb. Yet her grief plummets into despair as she discovers her beloved teacher's tomb robbed of his brutalized corpse, defilement. And they, in response, run as a last devotion to their fallen teacher to see if they can discover the source of this defiling act. One disciple leaves that tomb confused. And the other disciple leaves flickering with the belief that something has changed. 
It is not long after that that Mary, overcome by her sorrow, is met by an inquisitive voice. Woman, why do you weep? Do, who are you looking for? Mary pleads with the man to return her beloved teacher's body or at least point her in a direction. Mary, with eyes widened, she sees Jesus alive. And by his command, she runs again to tell the disciples On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Here is the first truth that we need to understand about this story. Jesus is alive. And not in the sense like Lazarus. Lazarus was not resurrected. He just re-inhabited his body because it wasn't long after that that he still died. Yet Jesus is alive. Honestly, he is more alive than any of the men inhabiting that room at that moment. Not even a locked door could resist his life. What is even more amazing is the first act he performs in the presence of those men. It is the very same act he performed in the presence of the first man. He established the Imago Dei. And then he breathed life into them. Now Jesus, he is the true image of God. But once again, the people of God's making are being remade as image bearers. Yet what's next? Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciple says, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my fingers into the marks of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. The second truth that we need to understand about this story is that we treat the testimony of Jesus' resurrection like the disciples. Did you hear what I said? Do, do you see it? I did not single out Thomas like we tend to do. I said the disciples, because they're all at fault. 
When Mary returned with the news that Jesus was alive, did they run out to the tomb to go see for themselves like they did when they thought him dead? When, uh, after Jesus appeared to the disciples, did they go out and tell others that they had seen the risen Messiah? No. They just shared it among themselves within a locked room. And even then, when Thomas rejected the claims that they didn't, uh, rejected their claims, he, they did not push back. Like the disciples, we are so quick to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus amongst ourselves. And yet we sit around and act like he is dead in the presence of those who object this truth. They just sat there for eight days behind a locked door, armed with the Holy Spirit and the truth of the resurrection and they did nothing. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. The third truth that we need to understand about this story, Jesus is God. No other disciple got it. Not even the beloved disciple John understood what just happened. It was our favorite skeptic, Thomas, who understood the truth that stood before him. It was Thomas who flat out denied the testimony of his brothers. The arrogant Thomas who shut the mouths of those who claimed to see the risen king. It was him who saw Jesus as he truly is. He saw the living God standing before him and the others only saw their beloved rabbi. This is the point of my message. This is the point of the gospel of John. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The final truth that we need to understand is that belief in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is life. All of the joy and wonder of this moment reignited the hope and belief that something has changed with Jesus. And it all is summed up with the words of Thomas, my Lord and my God. This statement is not just an interesting tidbit of information to inform us of who Thomas believed Jesus to be. 
This is a proclamation of reinforcement by the apostle John that, God, that the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the God of Moses that shook the nations by his mighty acts, the God of creation whose will is obeyed by all creation. It is he who stood bodily before them and called them brothers. It is he, the God who breathed new life into these men, just like the first day God breathed life into the first man. The God of the impossible, who defied death and made it irrelevant. I mean, just look at John 9, chapter 19, verse 41, through chapter 20, verse uh, 11. Eleven times the tomb is mentioned and is never mentioned again the moment John says, Mary sees Jesus. Eleven times the tomb is mentioned and when Thomas recognizes his God, all eleven disciples were standing before him. And never again we see them in a locked room. Death and fear is no longer a factor. There is no power within the tomb because belief in Jesus is life. So what does that mean for us? My brothers and sisters, I want you to take a serious inventory of yourselves today. And in the days that follow, and maybe you'll have to just postpone this until the whirlwind of the semester's over. But if you are serious about your life, about your faith, then I encourage you to seriously take an inventory of yourself. Because what I see, I see a lot of talk of belief. But I don't see or hear very much evidence of belief. We say we believe that Jesus is Lord that he is Messiah, that he is the Redeemer and the Son of God, that he is all-powerful and faithful, the sovereign of the universe, and yet we tremble away, believing that we have no voice, no strength, no authority, nor even a right to speak boldly about the absolute truth of Jesus. This is the true tragedy of Jesus' death. Everything that Jesus was building up, every moment of wonder and joy and hope, every spark of courage that led people to believe that maybe, just maybe, we can, be, we can stop being the punching bag of Satan. It ended when Jesus died. And then we find the disciples, much like ourselves, trembling in fear in a locked room because an overbearing and obnoxious culture says that they have no room for God's Messiah. And we revert back to believing in the old ways as we memorialize our Messiah. We doom ourselves to believe that nothing will ever change outside of military might 
or the acquisition of wealth or political prowess or social revolutions. If this is true, then our Messiah is nothing more than money, TikTok and YouTube influencers, identity politics, social justice agendas, and pandering lies of politicians. Brothers and sisters, are these our messiahs? If so, then they are weak. They're insignificant. And they only lead to a cold, dark tomb. Within our Western tradition, we, we mourn and celebrate Jesus' death way too much. Yes, the price that was paid is beyond imagining but does the weight of our sin cause us to repent or we just flip it with the Lord's sacrifice? If we are honest with ourselves, what we need to mourn and repent of is our hiding of sin and disbelief within a locked and darkened room. Instead, we need to make the resurrection of Jesus the most important aspect of the gospel message. That's what the apostles did because they believed in Jesus. They believe in Jesus that he is life. Stop believing that your life can be found in your money, in your favorite influencers, in your self-qualified identities, in your passion for social justice or your political opinions. These are not new concerns within this world. Why have we been convinced that our time is worth our passionate support of nothing but a pagan hijacking of our God's values? This is not how our Lord operated among his disciples, nor his critics. He simply stood upon the revealed word of God and told every person he encountered that life is more than the beckoning grave. Instead, let's begin to believe that life can only be found in the resurrected Jesus who defied all earthly authorities and powers the God and the creator of heaven and earth and the recreator of you and me. Believe in the true and living Jesus and then start acting like it. When Pentecost took place, did the apostles tremble in the face of opposition? Or were they confident in the resurrection? Did they piggyback off the culture's concerns to validate their cause? Or did they speak the validity of Jesus into those concerns? Our belief, our active trust in Jesus needs to move us into a living life of abundant holiness and joy. Our belief in Jesus needs to be radical because the world is radically against him. Brothers and sisters, it is in our trust of our God Almighty that obliterates our unreasonable fears 
and allows us to live with peace and confidence in every stage of life. It is our belief, not our words, that keeps us running to the Lord when sin tries to drag us to our death. It is our belief in the resurrected Jesus that says it's okay to live with a fool's joy, to live a life that looks completely foreign to the walking death of this world. That is because belief in Jesus is life. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.